will we be able to see ourselves? All right, we are live. All right, buenas and half a day, todos hamzo. Half a day, it is, it is a beautiful day. It's been a beautiful week. And uh, once again, I am your host, Michael Lujan Bavakwa, here on today's episode of Fanatsu. So hold on, just making sure the live stream is up and starting again. And so hopefully Jess, Jess Tsatgalov, mayor of Malolo, if you're out there somewhere, I'm kidding, mayor of, future mayor of Inalahan, perhaps. If you're out there, put for what, share the stream, get it out there. Hungan, esta, enegisi, Jess, esta, ega. He's already watching us. And so remember, Fanatsu is made possible by all of you. We don't sort of sell ads. Um, we don't sort of, uh, we don't uh, sell anything by the side of the road or at the flea market to make this happen. We contribute, we donate. Um, and so those of you who support us on Patreon, uh, you are the heroes. If I could sing like Enrique Iglesias, I would sing like him right now about <laughs> all of you. But um, you all make it possible, all of you that support us on Patreon. And remember, if you like Fanatsu, if you like the conversations that we have, um, you can help support us. You can, you can help sustain us by signing up as a patron. You can sign up as a Hatsa, a Hugu, a Hugwa, or a Tulu member. And remember that after every live stream on Friday, we record special exclusive podcasts, such as the Secret Guam History podcast or the Radical Readings podcast. And if you sign up as a patron and support us, then you can get access to those. And so today on the Radical uh, History podcast, I'll be talking about why the march that we'll be talking about today why the number 2000 is important symbolically for that march. And so if you want to learn some of that history, please tune in. Please sign up as, as a patron. All right. So we've got some, some nice, we've got some lovely guests here today. And so to my left, we have Leonardo Lujan Orsini over here. He is an undergraduate in his last year at Stanford University. Leonardo, song and half a day. Half a day. <laughs> and to my right over here, we have Eru Mitchell Thomas. Thomas Mitchell. Thomas Mitchell. Damn it. <laughs> okay. Damn it. I was confusing you with one of those conservative Tory party members that got kicked out by Boris Johnson. I'm so sorry to spend such a... And so you are a poli-sci major at the University of Guam. Yes. And you were also... Both of you helped, uh, helped organize the Fanogi March that happened earlier this week. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of you participated. Mm -hmm. And so it's in that spirit that we are here today to kind of talk about that. And so just some background, the Fanogi March organized by a broad, by a broad group of organizations and individuals all uniting behind the idea of Chamorro self-determination, that it's something that's been out there for a long time and that its time has come and we need to fight and push for it now. And so on a very hot day, Labor Day, September 2nd, 2019, more than 2,000 people showed up at Adeloupe and marched from, from the Adeloupe field to the district court and back. It was a beautiful day. Bonitu Naha'ani, a lot of people, all shapes, sizes, colors, creeds. Um, people brought their tzakmas. People didn't bring their tzakmas. Um, people brought their nanas. As, as I wrote in my column, some Manhoban marched for their manamku and some manamku marched for their Manhoban. And so it was a beautiful day. And so... 
And so, uh, Leonardo, let me start with you sure. on this side. So what are your first reflections, your first thoughts on this historic event? Um, well, I can give my experience when, um, when I got there. So I, I got there a little bit late with my cousin. But, you know, initially we went there and it was clear, you know, it was, it was packed. Like in the entire Adeloop was packed. Cars were like parked back to back. Uh, we ended up having to find parking almost close to Maina going up on both the Helix and the mobile station were like just packed with overflowed um, cars. And, you know, we were just like totally caught off by that. We, we thought, you know, maybe there might be like, you know, several hundred, maybe like 800, 600 people. But it was clear that, you know, it was well over a thousand people, just sheer volume wise. It was well over a thousand people. Parking was packed everywhere. Um, when we first got into the march, we actually were behind someone who brought their carabao. And it was like, it was such a cool scene. It was such a cool optic. You know, there were so many people. I think one thing that I really, um, I really you know, focused on was it was such a diverse crowd. Mm. It was such an incredibly diverse crowd. Um, you know, old, young, um, Chamorro, non-Chamorro. There were so many new faces that I haven't seen at these types of political events. And I think that for an event like uh, self-determination and the nature of what this Finogi March was, um, it was the most people I've ever seen at such an event. Mm -hmm. I think it was like unprecedented, oh, just yes. the sheer volume of people for oh, yes. such a political um, you know, cause. Very true. I mean, for those, for those out there who think that decolonization or self-determination, that these are minor issues that no one cares about, um, having 2,000 people in the streets for something when they're not getting paid for it and there's no free food involved and they're not there to watch Pia Maria or something like yeah, that, that's a big definitely. deal. No, I, yeah, I think it was a big deal. And then also, I think for people within the movement, you know, we, we, I think we know that we have numbers, but in that display, in that march, being there in that march, it really felt like we had numbers. And I think for us, it was sort of like our show of force. Mm -hmm. It really was a show of force. Like our army just like came out, you know, our huge army, Dothraki army just like <laughs> came out of nowhere. We're like, listen, we are here. We're not this small community segment, you know, that the media makes us out to be. Like mm -hmm. we are, it's a very common viewpoint. And I think it's something that's very much in the mainstream to be for you know, decolonization, to be for self-determination. And so it was almost like a coming out of the closet kind of like uh, experience, right? Like, you know, there's so everyone was, our whole family was out there and, and then some, mm -hmm. it felt like. Yeah. Oh, and so, so Eru, what about your thoughts? Uh, um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. <clears throat> um, it was a packed house. It really was. There was people who were parking their cars at the side of the road, coming in to join the march. I mean, unplanned uh the unplanned flag mm -hmm. and it was just nice to see um the community come together on something and i like to mention that a lot of the families were out there too with their signs and it was just really good to see and i think a lot of people were empowered by the march um i spoke with <clears throat> excuse me i spoke with a few marchers uh, one in particular he kind of mentioned that um, activism and events such as this were maybe frowned upon in the past mm. Um, for a lot of reasons, the, I guess you could say 
um, stemming from liberation, I guess, protesting against the federal government or even against the military um, was not looked at in a good light, I guess, because of a lot of people who are in the service. And um, he was just happy to be out there. And I really think, yeah, it empowered a lot of people who who wouldn't have maybe raised their voices otherwise, but saw this event as a way to come together and let their uh, voices be heard. So it was really nice to see that. Wait, so you mentioned the the unplanned flag. Right. And right, so right. this was a, one of the most beautiful things. And I wish that I had video of it. And I wish we could play some romantic music. Because there was one giant Guam flag as part yeah, of the march. Yeah. And then, as it was making its way down Marine Corps Drive, mm. another giant Guam flag yeah. appears. It was like Bambi's parents meeting in the jungle. It's like, hey... Hey boy, hey girl. marching <laughs> zoo. I'm just marching here tonight. You look good. <laughs> Got a couple thousand people with you. You know I do. Right. You want to hang out sometime? Hungan. It was like, and then it was it was a beautiful meeting of gigantic Guam flags. Yeah, the yeah. biggest flag. I thought it was planned until after. And you guys mentioned we were like, oh, we didn't know that that was coming out. And I was like, no, and so what was special about the the flag that was on the? I think it was the guys in the jujitsu. Yeah, Gracie. Right. Yes, yeah. and so what was what was symbolic about that? They had some. They had a message there. Do you guys remember the message? They had uh, the date for. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> sorry. They had the date for. Um, what was that? For uh, Philippine independence. Yeah, Philippine independence. Nineteen forty-six. Organic Act as well. No. Or no, and it? then they had the U.S. Seventeen seventy. Oh, the U.S. Yeah. So it was cool. Giant flag, the Philippine, the giant Guam flag, the Philippine flag, small, 1946, Guam flag, small, question marks. And then the yeah, U.S. Right. flag, 1776. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, it was Very cool. cool. Yeah, I love the huge flags. It was like a... It's like our movement's phallic imagery. <laughs> yeah. And we can one-up you on our biggest flag. I know. It no, was, but it's funny because, like, flags are such an American or Western thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, who has a bigger flag? <laughs> you know, I'm going to stick my flag in this let's, land. Actually, let's get James Bamba to get started and weave us a pandanus Guam flag, oh a giant one. That would be cool. That would be amazing. That would be cool. <laughs> oh, and speaking of solidarity, so... We had all of these people on the march, mm-hmm. but uh, navigator Rob Limtiaco posted a video because as it was going on, him and then uh, Corey Santos uh, were in a canoe off, off um, what's it called, offshore from the district court. And so as the march was going, they were blowing the kulu from, the, from, the, from a canoe at sea, and they posted a video of it. It was very cool. And Corey Santos... Uh, he, he, I had him as a student before, but his family was also marching um, in the at, in the march at the same time. So it was a, it was a lot of you said spontaneous, just right. beautiful energy. Yeah, just beautiful energy. All right, what flag? Uh, what signs did you guys like? Because there was a lot of interesting signs. What signs did you guys like? There was one sign I liked. It was um, what kind of ancestor. Are you, are you, or mm. what kind of ancestors will, ancestor will you be? That was a good one. Mm. Um, the, man, I'm trying to think of signs. Some, let's see. I liked, um, one of the ones that I liked was somebody had a large sign that said Guam, where Guam's day begins. Mm. I liked that. It was just like, and I, and I really liked that a lot of people found 
ways to. It, it was like their own voice. Right, right. You know, that's the thing is that this is not an event for just the organizers, mm-hmm. right? But it's, it's, it's a space where people can find their own voice. They can use their own experiences. So there was, for example, there was groups of their Chamorro veterans who were marching, and one of them had a sign that said, Fanogi for equality, human rights, and respect. Mm-hmm. You know, and he had his Vietnam War veteran hat on. Mm-hmm. So... It was beautiful for him to come out and say, you know, as a veteran, I fought for certain things. Let's make those things mean something. You know, let's not leave them shallow or hollow. But, uh, oh, I should, I should mention that we do have uh, somebody, Bernard Ponsalan, who's who's in the States, he's tuned in. Uh, and Bernard was part of a solidarity march that took place in Washington. And so Bernard Sidus Masi, Facebook and so in Gefagradesi, we really appreciate the support out there. It looked like you had a nice crowd um, in Washington State. Was there a solidarity march as well in Southern California? I know a group. Not to my knowledge. I know there was a group that was trying to get together out there to to kind of. Although, I mean, they could just do a, like a solidarity hangout. They could go to an In and Out <laughs> Burger. <laughs> We'll have a solidarity hangout. We're going to walk to In-N-Out Burger. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think what I liked the most about the march, when you're talking about it a lot, is there are so many creative, new, inventive ways that people took their own spin mm-hmm. on things. So, you know, like the caravel, someone bringing their caravel to the march is like, I was like, what the heck? That is so cool. And I just like the optics of it and just like riding. I was like, man, I wish I could ride that. But it just looked hella cool. You know, people bringing out their flags, people like dressing up, yeah. so many different like styles. And, you know, it, it all gets very political. Um, but what I loved was just like people, it wasn't just like a, a campaign. It isn't just like a typical election campaign, right? Mm-hmm. We're not all carrying the same signs. We're not all wearing the same colors. And we're not carrying the same like, you know, slogans. Um, what I liked about this march or this um, gathering was that there wasn't really one unifying like slogan mm-hmm. that was sent out. People like it was unique messages that are coming out of individuals. And I right. think that's that was so cool just seeing like the space where people all just took their different spins on the same issue. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. Oh yeah. Very true. Very true. And I wanna give a Zahunabe Sangani Sidus Masi Senor John Ugan who brought out who brought the carabao. Thank you for bringing the carabao. That was that that made my day. Yeah, that was amazing. So that was, in fact, it was kind of weird that that was more exciting than two thousand people for a little while. <laughs> yeah, fact, right. Because for those in the organizing uh, group, I kept asking people to bring carabaos. Yeah. I asked my one student, my one former student. I was like, "Hey, you have a carabao, right? You always used to claim that you were late for class because you were feeding your carabao." And then my students like, "Oh man." Spencer Senor, my carabao died. Oh. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Is there a Lasadzu I can go to for your carabao? And everyone was like, no, they couldn't bring their carabao. They couldn't make it. And so when Senor Ogden showed up with his carabao, I was like, Biba, it's going to be a beautiful day. Yeah. We've got the support of the carabao. Next, car- uh, next March, we should bring a fleet of carabao. Oh, yes. You know, instead of the huge flag, let's bring out, like, the biggest carabao. And I want them, like, front and centered. <laughs> it's just, like, a slow pace, but, like... 
You look like rhinoceros or something. You know? Oh, that's like, awesome. <laughs> Carabangera, battle Carabao. <laughs> Carabao are ready to slowly move into war. <laughs> That yeah. definitely would have uh, freaked out the police. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To have like a, it's like that's like a really weird Mad Max I movie. Want, <laughs> to have a bunch of battle care about. I want, battle, I want our dragons. I want our mother of dragons. <laughs> I want our war creatures. I want them like armored, hardened on the outside. <laughs> and so uh, this is and. Going off of what you're both saying, that was what was really nice about it was you had people who were feeling passionate, yep. who were feeling pride, yeah. who were feeling love in so yeah. many forms. And this is the thing is so often activists are told you don't have anything to contribute. All you do is make noise. All you do is cause problems. But as you can see from an event like this, you know, something like this is the start of a strong community. The idea that people can come together from different perspectives, from different backgrounds, and they can unite around something, you know, that's the basis for a functioning democracy. And so one thing that I should ask, though, is did you, in the lead up to the march, did you encounter anybody who was dismissive of you or dismissive of the march, people who were critical of it? I mean, I, I, I encountered quite a few people who expressed stuff like that. And so what was your experiences like? In, in the lead up to the march, interacting um, with people? Well, during the outreach, I never had any criticism about the march. It was just a lot of um, questions about what is this all about? Um, mainly just people wanting to get more information about self-determination in general. Um, I never had any negative um, reactions to uh, the march at all, yeah, in my experience. Okay. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I never, I, don't, I didn't get any, like, negative responses from it. But I did get a lot of, like, I felt apathetical responses. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, like, I, I heard about the march, but nothing like I'm going to go attend it or, like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally behind it. It's more like, yeah, yeah, I heard about it. Like, that's interesting. And, mm -hmm. um, and that was, that's what got me a little bit uh, worried about it was, it was like, oh, my gosh, it's just going to, like, turn out to be another, like, political you know, mm -hmm. event where you know, a couple hundred, a hundred of us are going to show up. But yeah. um, I think that's why it surprised me. It's like coming into the event, I was like, no, not at all. There's thousands of people here. Mm -hmm. Like, it's hard to deny the march. Right. It's hard mm -hmm. to deny this issue when literally thousands took to the street. That's true. I think in a way, the fact that there wasn't more resistance to this march mm -hmm. or public criticism, because... There was a, a column that was critical from Ron McNinch, professor at the University mm. of Guam. Um, you know, there was some, I remember one exchange, somebody was criticizing the march. What is a march going to do? What is it going to accomplish? And <laughs> somebody responded, oh, you know, a better strategy is to sit and moan on Facebook all day. Yeah, that's way better for this island, right? Instead of going out and standing for something, we just, we just like... We just moan online about things, I really, yeah. I really think it was the, the silent majority. I think most people yeah. see decolonization as something that has to happen, mm. and but they might not have a platform to mm. talk about it, or maybe they don't want to talk about it to, you know, because it's kind of a sensitive issue. Mm. But the march, it really brought out a lot of those people, I think. I really do. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. It's interesting that you bring up the lack of knowledge because I think in a way that's what's holding the community back is that there has been education that's been going on, mm-hmm. but like Independent Guahan has been doing lots of education, but it can only reach so far, right? you know, because we are a volunteer group and so on. Um, and so, but if you, if you give people the information, mm-hmm. then it's kind of common sense. Yeah. It's not a crazy thing, right? It's mm-hmm. actually, you know, because somebody who says, no, we could never be independent. Somebody, you know, they probably don't know a lot about the issue. So that's mm-hmm. why they're reacting kind of with fear. Yeah. But if you, if you tell them, you know, Guam wouldn't even be one of the smallest countries in the world in terms of our economy. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's, there's actually several dozen countries that would be smaller than Guam right. as an independent country. Guam mm-hmm. would actually be kind of large in the Pacific. Right. Niue is like less than 10,000 people. Yeah. You've got countries out there that are way smaller, but they don't think about it in those terms. They just think about it in terms of breaking away from the colonizer in a very rude and rough way. Yeah. yeah. And so now, so speaking of this, Leonardo, you've been volunteering or interning at the Commission on Decolonization. Mm-hmm. And I know that next week we have the Fanjita conference, the continuing quests for decolonization. And so do you want to give us some updates on that or sort of invite the community? Yeah, yeah. So the Fenhita Conference is uh, organized by the Commission on Decolonization, and it's happening next week, September 12th to the 13th. And uh, basically, it's it's an exciting conference. It's, you know, the decolonization conference that we're putting on uh, for the community. And what we're doing, what it's all about is it's about bringing... um, other leaders, other heads of states, former heads of states um, throughout the Pacific to Guam to talk about decolonization. And so the hope is to create this discussion that um, looks at our decolonization, not just within our homelands, but also at other our neighboring islands throughout the Pacific. And it's, I'm excited for it. You know, it's an awesome lineup. It's truly, truly going to be incredible. Um, and I can't wait. And I think it's it's so apropos for what's happening right now. You know, the Davis case, we have the Finogi March, and then now we have this decolonization conference. Oh, yes. And it's like one after the other. It's Marianas conference was right before that. And yeah, the Marianas conference was right before the march. So there's a lot of buildup, a lot of momentum yeah. that is happening right now. And I think it's it's so prime. Especially, especially with the climate, the climate when it comes to uh, indigenous rights going on around the world, you see Mano yeah. the events in yeah. Brazil. That's it seems point. like, I don't know, I just feel like this is like the perfect time to start really pushing for, for self determination. Mm-hmm. I, I think the political climate is like at that place. I, think. I would definitely agree, and I've put it in the comments <laughs> to register because they're they have just recently expanded the capacity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Originally it was a cap at 200, but they're expanding it so that 300 mm-hmm. can attend. Mm-hmm. And so to register, email conference at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can call the commission office and the number is uh I don't want to give out I don't want to give out Melvin's number. <laughs> I could give out Melvin's number. You guys want Melvin Wampat Borja's number? Oh, you guys can you up text him? can send him uh, <laughs> eggplant emojis if you want to. <laughs> That's so funny because like my kids are 12 and 10 and they know that eggplant emojis are funny, but they mm-hmm. don't know why they're funny. Yeah. 
So <laughs> if I say, oh, I'm going to send somebody an eggplant emoji, they're like, ah, now. And then I'm like, do you know why that's funny? And they're like, <laughs> and I'm like, good, stay that way. <laughs> stay that way for a little while longer. Stay that way. Mm. But so you can call the Commission on Decolonization Office, or as I said, you can email fanhitaconference at gmail.com. And this is a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, as Leo was saying, it's a great opportunity because the list of people who will be attending is very diverse. Right, yep. You have, and um, I know I have had the honor of meeting and interacting with some of them from our islands around us, uh, two former heads of state mm -hmm. from Palau and the FSM will be coming, Peter mm -hmm. Christian and jo Jack Johnson. Yeah, Johnson. Johnson Turibion. I was, I was totally going to mess up his name. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Commander Eru. <laughs> Lord Commander. <laughs> and then uh, from elsewhere, we have uh, Dan Ega, who is in charge of... Dan Ega from American Samoa, mm -hmm. who is in charge of their sort of equivalent of the Commission on Decolonization there. So we can learn about why is it that American Samoans are nationals? Right. Why is it that they have a different level of sovereignty compared to Guam. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of learn about that. So why is it that their take is different? Mm -hmm. um, also, we have the Lieutenant Governor, Tregenza Roach. Roach, not Roach. It's it's spelled Roach. <laughs> it's pronounced Roach. Spencer Zo, man. It's like diplomatic faux pas, man. Protocol. <laughs> I am not in the protocol office. <laughs> I am not in the protocol office. <laughs> but um, he's the lieutenant governor of the Virgin Islands, and he'll be coming out. Mm -hmm. Carlisle Corbin, and mm -hmm. I know that you've taken a class with Carlisle. Yeah, Mililani Trask. Mililani Trask, mm -hmm. super important. The sister super, super. of Hunanike Trask, mm -hmm. who people still send me the videos of her standing up to that oh, yeah. that white guy at that TV show in Hawaii. Ugh. And so, and so, who else? Man, we've got. Uh, Vilma Reveron Calazo, she is a human rights attorney from Puerto Rico. Mm. Got, and Sandra Creamer, Sandra Creamer, who does a lot of work with some very important NGOs around indigenous rights and indigenous women's rights. Mm. She will also be coming from, uh, yeah. from uh, Australia. Did we mention also Felicidad Agumoro? Oh. Yeah. Felicidad Agumoro, who's a former representative. From the from CNMI, uh, from their legislature, and so she will be coming. She was important because so in Guam the conversation around our political status, you know, it goes up and down like this. But in the CNMI, they went through a negotiation. Right. They got their covenant. Mm -hmm. But in the years since, a number of things that they negotiated mm. have been taken back or reverted back to federal power. And so Felicidad was somebody who kind of spearheaded the passing of, a, of the creation of a new commission to analyze their political status because the United States basically says, you had your chance, it's over, you're stuck. Mm -hmm. Whatever you are now, that's it. And the CNMI then struggles because they interpret their covenant one way and the U.S. interprets it another way. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the Northern Marianas, there's the category of NMD, Northern Marianas descent, but the CNMI government is not allowed to give rights to NMDs unless it's in the covenant. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully we'll learn more about that because there are three Davis cases about voting rights in the United States and its empire. 
One of them is in Guam, one of them is in the CNMI, and one of them is in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. All of them kind of related to voting. I remember when Julian Uggen was arguing the initial case uh, before Tidinko Gatewood, there was, they had a joke about that. Oh, which Davis case are you talking about there, boy? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, dispense it to judge. <laughs> <laughs> was that your Julian Uggen? Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> dispense I'm sorry, dispense it to judge. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I don't know, that was just my sort of generic, Generic lawyer child voice. I don't know. <laughs> and then we also had our very own uh, Leland Bettis. <laughs> yes, this was Leland Bettis, um, who was the former director, executive director for um, not only the Commission on Decolonization, but when it was previously the Commission on Self Determination. And under which governors? It was. Um, he was Ada. under Ada and then Gutierrez. Gutierrez, yes. And so a lot of stuff. And in addition to that, well, the conference will also have local panels. We're still trying to figure them out. But one that we have locked down that I'm very excited about will be on federal negotiations from Guam. Mm-hmm. So we have scheduled on that Leland Bettis, and, but also we'll have Robert Underwood, former congressman, former UOG president, and then uh, what's it called? The, the Khaleesi of the Fanogi March. No, wait, I used that wrong. He's not the Khaleesi. <laughs> He's the call. <laughs> He's the call for doggy. <laughs> I've never actually watched Game of Thrones before, just to let you know. But, um, but so he'll be on it. And then also former uh, Assistant Secretary for Insular Affairs, Tony Babauta, now the Chief of Staff for uh, Magahaga Lulion Guerrero. And for me, that'll be very fascinating because we can talk about it in our context here, but this is one thing that's oftentimes missing in, in the discussion, is you have to have a plan for when you go to DC, right. or when you talk to the feds. Mm-hmm. You have to, and so let's, let's, actually, uh, let's actually sort of reflect on that now, because a lot of people showed up for the Fanogi March. Sen bonito, sen pauguna denanya. It's a beautiful day. Awesome! I'm gonna get the word Fanogi tattooed on my body. Dosmit. Dosmit. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get a lot of tattoos after this. Once uh, at next Govguam payday, <laughs> <laughs> gotta pay rent this this Govguam payday. But next Govguam payday. And so, in fact, we always have things on the table in honor of the Fanogi march. A halu'u is here because the people we are the halu'u moving around, keeping watch, being vigilant. Ready to just uh, uh, to attack, I guess. I don't know. But, oh, and this is here because um, William Hernandez and his wife, Bernie, they gave this to me on the march mm. as a gift. Nice. It's a very nice gesture. And so a lot of people are wondering what happens next. We've talked about the Fanjita Conference. That's a good way for mm. people to get educated. Um, but what's next? What's next in terms of this issue? I, uh, I, th- I think it's really important to keep the education going. Um, I think the march can be seen as something to get the local uh, community leader, elected leaders, um, to start pushing harder. Mm-hmm. Um, is, and we, yet, like he said before, we got to keep the momentum going, keep uh, educating people and hopefully get a plebiscite going within mm. the next few years. Um, I really don't think a, a, ru- a plebiscite should be rushed. Mm. Um, I really think that uh, more community outreach in terms of education needs to happen. Yeah, that's where I stand on that. Yeah. 
I think I think now um, we need to be focused on like a legal political action. You know, there has to be some sort of concrete legal action to happen. And I think right now what we can do at the grassroots level is is put pressure on our elected officials. You know, and I think that we have this Finogi March. It's hard to deny this movement. It's it's voice. You know, it's hard to deny us. It's hard to belittle us. It's hard to say that we're small or a small segment of the community. And I think that, you know, as long as we put pressure on our elected officials Mm -hmm. um, to do action, to, you know, actually commit to something, because I feel like that's often the case, too, is like we have a lot of these movements. We have a lot of these, um, you know, public actions, but it always somehow dies down. Right. Mm -hmm. And. There's little political action that actually happens. Right. It almost like, oh, like we'll let it settle, and it, it does settle. It does settle, um, and then nothing actually comes of it. And so, I think that's something that I want to avoid. You know, mm-hmm. going forward is let's let's keep with momentum. How do we, you know, fuel it? How do we actually turn the momentum into something that's tangible mm-hmm. and that's, um, you know, right. list of demands maybe. You know, yeah, very yeah. true. That would be a good idea. Um, and I know that there is some discussion about sort of putting out uh, a letter of support and then asking and then inviting all of the elected leaders to sign it. Kind of like a commitment, mm-hmm. you know, making a commitment. Nothing too draconian, right? Right, right. You're not yeah. signing over your family land or anything like that. But you are basically committing that you will fight for this for the future of the island. Mm. And, Leo, what you mentioned is is very critical because... You know, we have to remember that politicians are politicians. You know, a leader, a leader takes on the hard stuff. A politician takes on the easy stuff and, and waits until they have to do the hard stuff or ignores the hard stuff and tells you to look over there <laughs> or look over there or look at this resolution, <laughs> you know. And so that's what we got to remember. What was that? I think it was you who mentioned it. What was the, that saying that you were saying, like, where the people go... The elected leaders will follow. Oh, and that was, um, so Underwood has been quoting that. Oh, that and was that's Dr. the okay. And oh, no, it was the late Ron Rivera, uh, who was a part of uh, the Organization for People for Indigenous Rights. Yeah, and so I think that when the people like, lead, yeah. the leaders will follow. Yeah. And it's an important reminder that something like this, it's, it's hard for our elected leaders to wrap their heads around it. Mm-hmm. It's hard for them because, you know, let's say if you're, governor of the island part of your power comes from the organic act mm. which is a congressional act right if you are the non-voting delegate in congress you're basically a, a federal fiction mm. and then here on guam our system is very american in lots of ways mm. and so it's hard for the elected leaders to stay focused mm. on that and it's it's hard but that's why i think i mean to be very honest all of the elected leaders were invited yeah. to the march um, that goes to the governor, lieutenant governor, all the senators and the congressman and his office. And um, I think we had a good turnout in terms of elected leaders. Yeah. Um, do we want to name who was there? Let's see here. Mm. Lulian Guerrero, the yeah. Magahaga was there. She was there. She brought a bunch of her people too. That was nice. I think I saw Talina Cruz Nelson. Talina Cruz Nelson was there. I know Amanda Shelton was there. She had Shelton's. She was there with her brother. They had Shelton's for self-determination. That was nice. Uh, I saw, oh wait, 
It was funny because the giant Guam flag, mm -hmm. I know that former Senator Francis Santos was going around collecting elected leaders mm. and voluntolding them, encouraging them to, to carry the flag because we were having trouble finding people to carry the flag. And so I know Joe San Augustine was there. Of course, mm -hmm. Therese Terlahi was there with her yes. office. Senator Marsh, I saw her. Right oh, yes. Yeah. Kelly Marsh Titano, a very strong ally. Um, Former Senator Narissa oh, Underwood. That's right. And Clint I think Rigel. Clint Rigel was there. Was there. there. I think Tina Munya Barnes was there. Yeah, she was there. And Regine Bisco Lee was also there. Mm -hmm. And she looks like she, she was 2K ready. She was like ready. To get ready. She was like ready because she no, she yeah. had on like her. No, I, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. felt. I mean, for me, I was kind of like, man, I hope I don't die on this. <laughs> you died a little bit. I totally died on the way bit. back. On the way back. On the way back, I was, I was, I'm not in good shape. Just to let everybody know, not in good shape. But um, the dress codes were funny because, like, I feel like a lot of politicians were like, I'm not sure whether to dress as. A 5K or just <laughs> my diplomatic self, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, it was like, you see the full spectrum, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Governor but, Lewis in her 5K. And <laughs> no, when, when I saw Regine, Senator Regine Biscoli, I was like, she's not going to have any trouble yep. on this. And then when I looked at myself, I was like, I'm going to struggle on this. <laughs> Although it was a special day for me, I did wear shoes. Ooh. I almost never wear shoes. In fact, only if I'm carrying the casket at a funeral do I wear shoes. Or if I'm presenting at the United Nations, <laughs> basically the only times I wear shoes. Mm. Um, but I did wear shoes that day because mm. I wanted to increase my chances of not dying. <laughs> but um, I think most were there. I think most yeah. leaders were there. Yeah. Um, I saw quite a few. Oh, Will. Oh, Senator yes. Will Castro was definitely there. Mm. Um, no, I did not see several Republicans, though. Um, um, and I don't know if James Moylan was there. I did not no, see him. No, no, no. And I know that Tello Taitagui uh, emailed and saying that she apologized because she couldn't make it. And I did not see Luis Munya Borja mm. uh, or Borja Munya. But um, hopefully they were there in spirit. Now, the congressman and his office, they were invited as well. Mm. Um, but we did not get a response from oh. his office. But they may have had other things to focus on. Yeah. Um, why is it so quiet all of a sudden? <laughs> why did you get Lanya What is? Why is everybody so quiet? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I think it is an important reminder that, you know, that if we push, then they have to, as you have right. both said, they mm -hmm. have to listen. And I think it was a perfect opportunity for them to see. Cannot ignore this. Issue. Yep. People power. Cannot ignore this issue. That there's there's and. You know what? When I think about this, it's because of all of the work that has been done with cultural practitioners, mm -hmm. with Chamorro teachers, yeah. with professors, with people in the community who have tried to kind of push back against the sort of colonial apathy, the colonial depression, sort of just the way that people on small islands, we think we're small, we think we're insignificant, we think we can't do anything. And we've just had a couple generations of people reminding us that we can be inspired. Right. about our past and we can be inspired about ourselves and therefore we can be inspired about the future and so i saw this as being a culmination of that mm -hmm. just that because when you looked at the people there these were the people who um you know who want the chamorro language to be healthy these were the people who you know 
who love to sing and dance, who, who love to express pride in the fact that they come from Guam, yeah. and not just Chamorros, but others as well. And it's mm. just this beautiful positivity. And so as we sort of uh, get to the end of our podcast here, what do you want to kind of tell people who weren't there about that positivity and about sort of the future that lies ahead for us? Not just for us, the activists, the organizers, but sort of the island in general. I mean, both of you are younger than me. You're in your 30s, though. Yeah. You're totally in your 30s. You're way <laughs> younger than me. And so, but, um, but so what lies ahead? I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that the march was, like you said, was a good sign. Um, seeing all the different cultural practitioners and um, people from the various task force and just the general public coming out and unifying together. I'm not sure if this was the first time that groups like this came together like this or. I mean, it was definitely the largest and most diverse. Yeah, it was, it was a really great sight to see. And it was, and people were just happy. When you look in their faces, they were just happy to be there. Um, even the older elderly people, like there was a tent that was set up for them to just, you know, sit back and relax, but they made it a point that they wanted to march with everybody else. And that kind of inspired me. Yeah, that's for sure. What inspired me the most was um, just seeing so many young people there actually. Right. Yeah. And then it, it made me think, you know, this issue really activates a lot of young people mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, and I, and I think this, you know, it sort of goes along with the lines of like politics in a broader sense um, nationally too, but you know, issues like climate change, yeah. issues surrounding justice um, attract younger people. And I think that what's so inspiring about what's happening here in Guam is that younger people are making that association, that mm -hmm. decolonization here in Guam is like this trendy, it is this issue that's going to affect them and it's something that really activates them and so um you know broadly i think this issue is going to turn into something a lot more and, I, and what's inspiring is that it, it seems like it's almost creating this political block you know this block it really is like it's branding like i'm gonna wait until i see like companies start you know targeting these segments these population segments, you know, mm. like this is a, I really think this is building up to be a true political block mm. that yeah. politicians can't deny, mm -hmm. um, you know, in campaign seasons exactly. and um, their dealings with anything, you know. I was thinking the same thing that, like you said, with the youth, it's going to snowball. Yeah. Because um, I think it's, it's awakened a lot of the youth to want to learn more about it and it's only going to increase as the years go on so i think it's going to be yeah like you said a voting block for sure and um i think uh what we should always remember is that when this issue of self-determination was starting <laughs> to be first discussed um it was actually older people like uh people like um the late paul Berdalio. Uh, the late, and who was a senator, the late Senator uh, Frank Lujan, you know, the late uh, Senator, you know, Tony Palomo. Um, you know, it was a lot of people in the 70s who were starting to talk about this. Mm. And it was not something the larger community was engaging in. Mm. It, was, it was something very much at the top. There was these people at the top, you know, Joe Ada, former Governor Joe Ada was one of them as well. Um, the, the late uh, Senator... Uh, 
Dick Titano was one. All of these guys saw that Guam should get more, mm. that, the, that the other islands in Micronesia and the CNMI, they were getting more, yeah. and, that they, and the world was advancing. It was moving ahead. It was leaving behind the chains of colonialism, but Guam was stuck. Mm. Now, your average person at that time didn't see this, but these guys saw it. And, but it was interesting. Because even when I have spoken to some of those people at that time, they were actually in favor of independence for the island. They would never say it because the community wouldn't tolerate that. It was too crazy. It was too radical. It was too insane. They weren't ready for it yet. They weren't ready for it. But if you look at where we are now, mm. I mean, uh, we were just talking before the start of this podcast that the Guam Daily Post uh, that the Guam Daily Post uh, put a, a, a poll the day of the march. And then um, how many, what's it at now? I think it's around 1,200. And um, so it was supposed to be what status do you want? And most of us didn't even know that this poll was yeah, out there. Didn't but then know. this morning it went out in a bunch of different chats and suddenly it's got like more than 1,200 for independence. By far the most popular option. And when you think about it, it's amazing that young people, are interested in that. Young people want to dream about a better future for the island, which is not the same white picket fence dream that they're... Biba. 1280 for independence, 230 for statehood, mm. 90 for free association, and 68 not sure. Yep. Uh, and so this is, this is another important moment in that journey to bring this conversation to the entire island and not just for tomorrow's but others as well mm -hmm. and so i want to thank both of you mm -hmm. for your role in organizing the march your role in being there and bringing your energy and also uh for coming on the podcast today mm -hmm. so no problem for having us on here yeah thank you and so for all of you out there thank you for tuning in again remember sign up at patreon um Remember that our poor producer, Siguenzama Lazama over there, he does not have any sleeves on his shirts. Oh. And if you sign up as a patron, maybe we can get him some mangas. We can get him some sleeves for his shirts. I publicito na tauta. Si Jus Masi Tatlo, a Jos Estequi Otribiahi. All right, Sanamasi. <laughs>